0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage.
1: Healthcare in the U.S. is going through an era of groundbreaking innovation. On June 11th, the Washington Post Live hosted Transformers Health, featuring health innovators and experts to discuss the most innovative solutions to today's top health challenges. In this segment, one of the world's foremost experts on HIV AIDS, We'll talk about the social innovation that has helped contain the disease globally in the Trump administration's goal of eradicating HIV transmissions by 2030. Let's listen. Good evening, everybody. I'm Lenny Bernstein, a health and medicine reporter for The Washington Post. Um, we are privileged to have with us today Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, he leads the uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases at NIH. As you, as you know, he's one of the world's uh, best known and uh, widely respected experts on HIV uh, AIDS. Um, Over the past 40, 50 years, he is one of the few people in the world who've had the most influence on transforming HIV from what was essentially a death sentence when the virus was discovered to uh, a manageable chronic disease, which it is today. Um, I wanted to start with that transformation. Um, I've, I've heard you speak and you give a very cogent sort of description of, of how far we've come. I remember uh, I was covering the University of Connecticut back in 81 or 82, and activists started to show up, and they, they started to say, look, there's a disease out there, and we right. don't know what it is, and we don't know what to call it, right. but it's going to kill you fast if you're not careful. Right. Can you tell us about the yeah. period in between? Well,
0: I first got involved with uh, what would turn out to be HIV-AIDS before it had a name, We used to call it inappropriately gay-related immunodeficiency, and certainly before we knew what the etiologic agent was. So from 1981, when the first cases were reported by the CDC, we began admitting patients at the NIH in Bethesda. And that period of time of mystery and, and, and concern about dealing with something that you don't even know what it is, but it's killing young, mostly gay men was really surrealistic. I I write about it and talk about it as the dark years of my professional career and even in my life because you're a physician, you're trained in healing people and everybody that you're taking care of is dying and and they're all young. Uh, That was very frustrating. What what, was the um, survival, length of survival? Well, the median survival was about 12 months, namely 50% of the patients who came in to see you would be dead in about a year and maybe... 80 to 90% in two years. The reason that was the case is because AIDS is a disease, HIV, that takes many years to get someone advanced. We would only see the patient when they were deathly ill because they didn't know they had HIV infection because we didn't know it was HIV, and so we had no diagnostic tests. So the only time you would have someone come into a hospital is when they already had advanced disease. So from the time you saw them, to the time they died, the median survival was about 12 to 15 months. What is it now? Well, right now, it's, it's, it's really totally transformed, because what's happened over the years, until we now have like a combination of three drugs, which you can take in a single pill, so if a 20-plus year old person comes into our clinic, in fact, Lenny, even in the same room where I saw them 38 years ago, if a 20-plus person comes in recently infected and I put them on the extremely effective drugs that we have available right now, and they stay on that drug, you could look them in the eye and tell them by the actuarial curves that if they take their medicine, they could live an additional 50 plus years. So if they come in in their 20s and all other things being equal, they live another 50 years, they can live almost, not quite, almost a normal lifespan. There'll be other complications because when you're infected, particularly for a long time, there are things that create chronic uh, problems with organ systems. But if you get caught right away, reasonably soon after infection, and you get on drug, it's completely different than it was in 1981. Completely different.
1: There were all kinds of predictions that HIV was going to be apocalyptic. Hospitals weren't going to be able to, right. to cope with the <clears throat> number of patients. Um, none of those obviously came to pass. What happened?
0: Well what happened is that science and you know if you look at the at the investment that we have made in biomedical research the discovery of the virus a diagnostic test to determine the extent but importantly of all the things that are scientific advances in the arena of treatment have been nothing short of breathtaking you know in 1987 we got the first drug which was AZT which when we gave it to individuals the level of virus came down modestly but not durably. So we were very excited that we first had a drug. But if you know anything about an RNA virus, and HIV is an RNA virus, and RNA viruses tend to mutate very easily. So you knew sooner or later, it was gonna mutate away from the effect of the drug. Then a few years later, we had a combination of two drugs. And then the transforming year was 1996, when with the advent of a certain kind of a drug called a protease inhibitor, we realized that if you give patients three drugs in combination, and back then it took many, many pills, 15, 20 pills, you could get the level of virus to below detectable level, and it stayed that way as long as they took their drug because the virus had no opportunity to mutate because you were completely suppressing it, and a virus can't mutate if it's not replicated. Mm. So that was the beginning of the transformation where, as you said, we refer to it as the Lazarus Effect, because people who were dying and thought they were going to die would get up and then say, gee, now what am I going to do with myself? I'm going to have to go back and and live my life. That was transforming. And now today, up to 2019, it's gotten even better and better because you can give a person one pill that contains three of those drugs once a day, and it'll do the trick of what was done with many, many pills before.
1: Hmm. Uh, I want to talk about the pills in a second, but just briefly, if we can um, raise our gaze outside of the United States, what has happened in Africa and other parts of the world that almost seems as miraculous? Well, what happened is that
0: from 1996 to 2002, 2003, it became so clear that you could really save the lives of these individuals and they would live relatively normal lives. But what was happening is that 90% of all the HIV infections are in the developing world, and 67% are in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. And it was really the vision and uh, you know the action of a United States president, George W. Bush, back in 2002, called me into the White House, and actually the, the words that he used was, you know, as a rich nation, we have a moral obligation to see that people who were born in certain areas and regions of the world, that they should not die and suffer because they happen to be born in sub-Saharan Africa. So can we go there and figure out, can we put together a transforming program that would get treatment, prevention, and care? And is it feasible to do it in the developing world in sub-Saharan Africa? Because there were a lot of people who felt, oh, you can't do that in Africa. It's just so underdeveloped you couldn't do it. You know, there was probably a bit of subconscious racism in that to think that you couldn't do that. So we went there, we scoped it out, came back, and we said, I think we think we can do it. And the president, to his great credit, said, okay, put the program together. We did, and it's ultimately now called the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief or PEPFAR. So PEPFAR has been active now for 15 years. Fifteen million people have received antiretroviral therapy, so that means that at least 15 million lives have been saved. Two point5 million babies were born uninfected, who otherwise would have been born infected,
1: because their moms are, on.
0: because their moms are on therapy, and they're blocking the transmission to the baby. So the developing world, it's, it, it sounds like a rosy picture, we still have major challenges ahead, because there are still 36 million people living with HIV. And there are about, you know, 12, 13, 14 million, not yet on therapy. And that gets to the point of the will of implementing the exquisite scientific tools that we have. Mm. PEPFAR has gone a long way. The Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Malaria, and Tuberculosis. The United States pays about a third of that. tab, and the other countries come in. Those are the things that are making the developing world not the catastrophe it could have been.
1: And in the United States, how many people have HIV?
0: There are 1.1 million people living with HIV. About 750,000 have already died of HIV. And the thing that we really need to address, and we are, because we've recently inaugurated a program to try and end the epidemic in the United States in the next 10 years by 2030, but there are about 38,000 new infections each year in the United States. That's bad. What's even worse is that it has been essentially that way for over a decade, 10 to 15 years. It's come down a little bit, but not substantially. And that's what we really got to aim our efforts at over the next five to 10 years.
1: So you brought it up. uh, Another president, rather unexpectedly, has said we are going to end the the transmission of uh, HIV in the United States, and we're going to do it in 11 years. Right. Is that realistic? And if it's realistic, how are we going to do it?
0: I I think it is realistic, and and the reason is, and this is something that for over a year ago, Bob Redfield, who is the the CDC director, and I spoke about, because Bob is, you know, someone whose career was devoted to HIV-AIDS before he came to the CDC, and we began talking about the feasibility of doing this, and something just jumped out at us, and that is that we have the treatments that we know that if you treat a person who's infected with HIV and you bring the level of virus to below detectable level, not only would you save the life of that patient, that person will not transmit the virus to their sexual partner. It doesn't happen. And we've done tens of thousands of people we've watched. Number two, you have an implementation of what's called pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. So if I'm at very high risk, of getting infected and I take one pill a day, I could decrease by 97% the likelihood that I will become infected. With that as a background, we have what's called a concentration of focused hotspots. So in the United States, the numbers are stunning. 12 to 13% of the population is African American. Of the new infections, between 45 and 50% of the new infections are among African Americans. 65% of them are among men who have sex with men. 75% of them are in young people, 18 to 35. So we have a demographic concentration. But the thing that really blew us away, Lenny, is that if you look at the map of the United States, there are 3,007 counties in the United States, all these little boxes of counties. 48 of those counties, plus the District of Columbia and San Juan account for more than 50% of all of the infections in the United States. That is stunning. 48 plus 2 out of 3,007. So we have a geographic hotspot and we have a demographic hotspot. So it's a question of the will, political, economic, medical,
1: etc., to go
0: out and do it. And that's the reason why we think we can do it.
1: So when you say tools, you mean... The medication, right. Truvada prep, PrEP, and it's a question of getting it to people, right. keeping people on it, right. because you have to take it every day to keep your, your level undetectable, and sort of following through. But medication adherence in general is terrible, right. and you know, we can't stay on our blood pressure medications. Right, exactly. So how are we going to keep these well, folks on,
0: it, on, it, on, it, on when it's a combination of adherence once you're on it, But with this situation, something that's even more problematic is access to the people that are the most vulnerable. Because if you look, it's concentrated in these counties in the Southern states. It's mainly African-American men who have sex with men. There's an extraordinary amount of stigma against those people. And when they get stigmatized, they are reluctant or even can't get access to a healthcare system that'll both educate them test them, and get them on therapy if they are infected, and get them on prevention if they're not infected. So stigma is really a major obstacle to getting this done, unfortunately.
1: If we could wipe out stigma as an issue, we still would have sort of a group of folks who live on the street, who are intravenous drug users, who are really the toughest group to deal with. And then we haven't even mentioned rural America. There's a bunch of states where it's also hard to get medication to rur- folks in rural America how do we do that
0: well you know we do it by by accelerating our effort and in involving the community what we've learned and part of the plan that we've put together uh, the the 10-year plan is to go out and really embrace the community the CDC has actively been doing that they're going to accelerate that we're going to work with them with our Centers for AIDS Research HRSA particularly the Ryan White program who's been very effective in getting drugs to people and keeping them on drugs and suppressing the virus. It's just gonna take a ratcheting up of the effort. It's not gonna be easy for the reasons that you've pointed out. Are we gonna bring it to them?
1: Are we gonna bring the
0: medication to them on the streets? Well you know it's very interesting because one of the models that we're using is a program that was started in San Francisco which is called the RAPID program. They proactively go out into the community. Homeless shelters, gay bars, on the street. They get people tested. They have a test that can actually get a result in 20 minutes or so. If you know somebody's infected, you give them the medication. And you say, here's a month's worth of medication. Start taking it. Get back to us in a month, and we'll get a prescription filled for you.
1: And the number of new infections in San Francisco is way down. Way down. Way down. As a result of this program.
0: As a result of the program. That's a model. New York State, with Governor Cuomo, is trying to copy what's gone on in San Francisco, and it's starting to go down in New York. We did it right here in the District of Columbia, which at one point was very, very bad with regards to incidents and prevalence. It's starting to come down now because of a concerted, community-based
1: effort. That's what you have to do. What about cost? Truvada is an expensive drug, right. uh, although it's not expensive to make, but it is expensive. Uh, I think the list is about 1600 a month.
0: Right. It's about 20000 a year at the retail price. At
1: the retail price. Right. So
0: is that an obstacle? It is an obstacle, and that's the reason why a number of negotiations are going on now between the government and the people, G- Gilead, that make Truvada. Soon it will be a, uh, a generic... Uh, but even before it's a generic, we need to get the price down. They have offered to give free to people who don't have health insurance, 200,000 people for 11 years, giving them drug for free if they don't have insurance. But we still have to get it more manageable from a price standpoint.
1: If I have insurance, I'm on the hook for the copay. Right. Not, for the, not for the whole thing. You said it. That's the problem. The even co-pay if is high. Yeah.
0: Even if you have insurance, the copay is a problem.
1: Right. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, we have a couple of minutes left. We went fast. We did. Um, is there an HIV vaccine in our future? There's a lot yeah. of research going right. on. Is that a feasible thing? Is that going to happen? I think it is.
0: I think it's, it's not going to be easy, and it may not be a classical vaccine. When you think about vaccines, for example, the measles vaccine, even though unfortunately we're in the middle of a measles outbreak because people don't take the vaccine, but a measles vaccine is... effective if you get two doses of the live attenuated. I don't think that's in the cards for us for HIV because HIV is such an unusual virus that the body does not readily make a very good immune response against it. So a vaccine tends to mimic natural infection to make you get an immune response to protect you. Natural infection doesn't induce a good immune response, so we're going to have to figure out a way to do better than a natural infection. Wow. However, given all the other things we have, treatment as prevention, pre-exposure prophylaxis, those kinds of things, I would settle, Lenny, for a 55 60% effective vaccine. Because if you combine that with the other modalities of prevention, I think we could put the nail in the coffin of the epidemic. So I think it's in the cards. It's not going to be easy. We have two major large trials going on in Southern Africa right now with a candidate that showed some promise In a trial that we did in thailand several
1: years ago i'm going to squeeze in a twitter question it's from Catherine. um it was recently reported that a 16 year old who died in 1969 may have actually died of aids much earlier than the first reported cases the tissue samples were destroyed in this case is there any uh, update on on that case and is there any work that can be done to investigate how this person contracted the infection
0: yeah, well, this is something that has been quite, you know, argued back and forth that someone way back when was, but the circumstances of that individual never left the United States, was in an area of the country that was known, I'm not so sure that that person had AIDS. And if they did, it was a one-off, and it doesn't have any impact
1: on what's going on. So it's kind of nice to speculate, but it doesn't have any impact. Okay, one more. Um a second person was recently reported cured right. of, H- of AIDS, I guess, right. of HIV. Um, can you explain the circumstances there and, and yeah. whether you feel this is really a cure?
0: Well, it is a cure for those two people, but it's very unusual. It's a situation that there is a genetic defect uh, of the expression of the receptor that the virus needs to bind and infect you. And there were two people, one in Berlin, one in London who had AIDS and they needed a stem cell transplant because they had a leukemia or a lymphoma.
1: In addition to AIDS? In addition
0: to AIDS. So they needed a transplant. So they found a person who had the genetic defect that would not get the cells infected. And they gave the person the stem cell transplant from that person to them. And that person then had cells that the virus couldn't replicate in. So that person was now cured. That's really good for that person if you really need a stem cell transplant. The second patient was in London. It's completely non-feasible for the 36 million people who are infected with HIV. So it's a proof of concept that you can cure, but as something that is applicable on a large scale, it's not.
1: Gotcha. All right, we're out of time, unfortunately. Um, I want to thank you, Dr. Fauci, for being with us again. And uh, we're gonna move on to our next panel, which is uh, focused on the measles epidemic.